0: hello there you're listening to the watson's daily podcast with me peace watson on thursday the 8th of february today i'm joined by duncan balkan who is a watson's daily ambassador hi there duncan how are you doing today
1: hi i'm very well thank you how are you
0: yeah very good um so which um, story have you picked out from today's Watson's Daily, then?
1: Yeah, so uh, continuing you know, my reputation as a fashionista, uh, of course. I've, I've, I've picked another fashion story. Cause...
0: There we go. Hey, <laughs> you don't want to uh, disappoint your public now, do you? No,
1: not, not at all. And uh, <laughs> I, should, I should probably say at this point, like if people have never seen an actual photo of me or met me in person, I'm the least fashionable person on planet. Uh, no, I find no, find this story no, really interesting. D- so, don't, <laughs> don't do
0: yourself down, Duncan. Um, you go for classic the classic look right black so on that's... black on black yeah it's yeah. a classic yeah, yeah. slimming apparently
1: yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway so yeah fashion story um, from the ft um, um and it's about tiktok and the fashion trends on tiktok um, mm-hmm. posing kind of a threat to kind of fast fashion leaders which i mm-hmm. think is interesting because it's not been that long since we were talking about fast fashion mm. um, posing a threat to kind of more traditional manufacturers of clothes so i think it's interesting to see kind of another another evolution Mm. Um, and it's kind of it highlights an interesting phenomenon this story whereby um tiktok fashion trends um are causing apparel retailers a complete headache because it's really difficult for them to keep up with the latest latest trend the latest viral whatever it is and we all know that when something happens on tiktok it can explode and be worldwide within within minutes within seconds, Mm. theory and i think when that happens with fashion these rate retailers are really struggling to keep up yeah um so Sheehan is a company that apparently doing quite well out of this because their time mm. from design to production uh, at the moment, they can do that within days. Mm. Um, and as such, kind of, they're, they're saying that sales for, for companies like that could double. I think they're saying 60 million by 2025. For, yep. I think So ma- massive numbers. Mm. Um, but I think it's going to be <clears throat> an interesting thing going forward because it's not just, obviously, Sheehan and the companies that can do this quickly that this is going to affect. There mm. are a lot of retailers this just doesn't fit their business model. Mm. I mean, getting from design to manufacturer, to design to manufacturer to kind of shipping to, to customer within days mm. just isn't possible for most, most I would say, fashion mm. retailers. So mm-hmm. you look at how kind of your mid-range companies, and I know the one you've picked out on daily is Uniqlo, and I think that's mm. a really good example um that actually they put quite a lot of effort into designing a spring range or a summer range or alongside their basics range which is just kind of you can wear it all day every day mm-hmm. every day of the year it is. Mm-hmm. And i think a lot a lot of retailers work like that don't they they have their spring summer they have their autumn winter and they design them months in advance they go through loads of rigorous kind of redesigns and, and testing and consumer surveys and stuff and and then put a product out. So this idea of, oh, something's gone viral today, let's design a product, let's get it in production tomorrow, let's ship it Mm. the day afterwards and have it to our customers by, let's say, Monday, we're on Thursday now, I think just doesn't work with a lot of retailers' um, business models. Mm. So should this continue, this kind of trend, I think there are a lot of companies that are either going to suffer really badly Mm. or have to completely change their production model to keep up and adapt. Yeah. so much as I say it's a fashion story it kind of is a fashion story it kind of isn't um it's it's a story that I think the trend there could put, pose kind of quite a threat to a lot of big retailers um mm-hmm. so I just thought it was really really interesting what's your take on this one
0: yeah so um i like this you know this I thought this is quite an interesting uh you know spin a, a spin on things um I think that this turnaround from design to the shelf um mm. is increasingly important i mean it's always been important um and i'm i know that uh, yeah i may well have said this in the past uh, in past podcasts because let's face it there are 800 and have been 857 uh, so far so i may well have said this before, but, but um but anyway the so when i was broking um i i really liked inditex right because um and i continue to like inditex because i think that it's a well-run company um i think that their design to shelf is pretty good um they've got their supplier you know the supply chain seems to be pretty solid um and yeah they they just you know they're good they're good at what they do um they also because of that shorter um, time that it takes to go from design to um to the shelf Means that they can adapt quickly, and um, mm. so that that means that that reduces the amount of stuff they might have to sell at discount at the end of the season. Yeah. Um, in contrast, um, again, I, I remember you know I I visited Uniqlo as in the company, not not the shop, um, mm. but the the company um, when I was in Japan, and I do also remember, and again, it hasn't changed um, that it's that um, they are slower. Beer from design to the shelf now the thing is is that um they are um the thing yeah the thing with that is is the the so there's good things and bad things the good thing is they can produce loads of stuff and that means you get economies of scale so it's cheaper to produce so that's really good yeah the downside is is if you get it wrong um then you are stuck with a whole load of stuff that you have to shift at discounts at the end of the season yes. now the thing is with uniqlo it does tend to concentrate on sort of wardrobe staples really mm. so the idea is it doesn't have to be particularly cutting edge but then you know but when it does have something a, a real hit on its hands then it can absolutely coin it in So for instance, um, you know, that banana bag thing or banana shape, but not a bag for your banana. That sounds, (laughs) that sounds wrong, doesn't it? But the, the, you know, uh, the, this sort of banana shaped bag thing Mm. that everyone um, likes that is very, um, you know, that obviously did really well. So well that obviously Sheen allegedly, um, has been, has been copying it. Right. So, um, You know, so it's not all. It's not always bad, but anyway, it just seems to me that um, these days that turnaround is becoming more important, and so therefore it is something that these apparel manufacturers will have to take into account. But then again, they could argue that the poor, the allegedly poorer quality of the. you know, that, that you know, that, that Sheehan gets away with, with it because of the poorer quality of its finished article. Whereas you could argue that Uniqlo certainly and Inditex probably that the quality issue, um, is very diff their offering is very different to what Sheehan has.
1: Well, that, that's it, that's the only thing I think, like if you're on the, like the board of one of these companies, you might be sitting there going, well, actually, we don't need to change things because actually this isn't our target audience. Mm. As I said, Uniqlo, much like we call them mid-range, and it's all wardrobe staples. Mm. The reputation is there for well-made products. And like you said, mm. I like the fact you use the word allegedly, by the way. Um, but <laughs> there are retailers that have a reputation for lesser well-made products. Yeah. And a lot of the people that buy those are okay with that because they're paying significantly less for them. You can't expect mm. to lower um, build quality, we're talking about this with mm. they weren't we in Wish. Yeah. Um, you expect a slightly lower build quality. Mm. Um, but like you said, it, so you might argue it's not the target demographic. But then when you've got so many users mm. on TikTok and so many trends that are being started on TikTok, yeah. at some point, I think you're going to have to kind of take notice of it at least, even if you sit there and go, not really our target demographic. I mm-hmm. think at some point, you're going to have to go, well, actually, should we, should we try and get a few products? out yeah. there as a result because it's it's a massive marketplace that you're not tapping into absolutely so yeah like i said fashion we like talking about fashion on the podcast
0: yeah of course <laughs> Which, like I said, sure.
1: we, we both tend to do wardrobe staples as our kind of everyday outfits yeah, i would say it, it's so. quite interesting that no, neither of us really to the best of say. knowledge. well hold, oh, hold
0: on hold on though. hold on though sorry speak speak for yourself i uh, mean I obviously too... i'm i'm at the cutting edge here Right, <coughs> no, not really. Um, <laughs> dressing, dressing for comfort and function, as opposed to, uh, yeah. But anyway, um, yeah, well, on the odd occasion, you know, I, I, yeah, dress up, you know. Um, but anyway, um, so fair enough. So, uh, well, we've done fashion now. So, um, what's left? Let's talk about cars. Yeah, <laughs> I'm rather favourite topic. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so anyway, so uh, today I thought there was a very interesting story about uh, about Ford um ford you know they had reasonable results it seems um but the thing that i'm latching onto today is the fact that it is trying to it is talking about uh, its new strategy on evs which is to concentrate on the cheaper end of the market now i think that that is a great idea if you want to sell evs right because one of the main problems um or the main hurdles so there's a few main hurdles on there one is <laughs> They're too expensive. And the yeah. second one is range anxiety, right? Yeah. And 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 the network, you know, the, the concerns about the, the charging network. Yeah. So the price thing sorts out the first thing, right? So people think, okay, this is good. I can cope, you know, there's an electric vehicle that I can actually afford. Right. So that's that's good. Um now the thing is I think there is a bit of a downside with that. Now, um, I would suggest that let's say so that my argument will be what happens if it's really popular what happens if ford introduces cheapo ev let's say they'll call it the fiesta the electric fiesta right yeah let's say right and everyone loves it you know car you know car um reviewers and stuff love it everyone says yeah let's get this car right so everyone gets really excited they buy the car but then the problem is, what that then could happen is you'd see you'd see news reports and photographs of people queuing up at um, you know at at um, public charging points at motorway service stations and all that kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Then after that, would there be a you know there's there's been, been this constant thing about. What would happen if there was a sudden surge in the use of EVs and EV charging? Would the grid be able to cope? So then, would there be blackouts? Would there be brownouts? What would would happen? And so, while I think that um, this is great news, and this will mean that there is wider adoption, which means that there will be more justification to invest in charging networks, yeah, the, the downside of that is that actually it might prove to be um, it might prove to be detrimental to EV's adoption as a whole, because if people see that there are blackouts that they're accused at the charging points and stings, then they're going to think, well, do you know what? actually, everyone just w- jumped the gun a bit too early. I'm going to leave it till 2035. Yes. Um thank you very much and if that happens, there is going to be because I think that most of assumptions for electric vehicle adoption is that it's going to be building and probably building faster as we get closer to twenty thirty five but we're still at the left end of this right because we're still ages away from twenty thirty five mm. so you know that this is there's it's going to go up you know it's going to and it's going to gather momentum if this happens so there's cheap evs everyone buys the cheap evs there's going to be this there's a risk that there's going to be this uptick and then there's just going to be a drop and then it's going to bump along for a bit and then eventually as it gets to closer to the the deadline if that indeed that deadline is still there then <laughs> yeah, there's they, going to be a steep adoption but yeah that is the risk and if there is that dip that is going to be very damaging i think to um to vehicle manufacturers and it may prompt all sorts of actions like more cons- even more consolidation in both production but also the the companies themselves
1: yeah absolutely um i i've had very similar thoughts i think when i saw this this morning my first mm. thought was- great cheaper EVs mm. and then my mind meant, went back kind of about a decade to um, when Dacia first came to the UK mm. I like, oh, okay so the Dacia I think it was the Sandero was the first one over here I saw an advert for it and went a bit different never seen that before and their thing was the same as other vehicles can do but cheaper which is kind of what this is it's an mm. EV but cheaper mm. and within months they'd won what car awards and then they were all over the place literally all over the place mm. and you see them everywhere and I think like you said if if that happens with this cheaper EV, mm. the real risk is, like I said, is the infrastructure just isn't there. Mm. And I think you'd be relying on, I think, two things. One would be trying to keep a decent range in the battery, which, mm-hmm. general pattern of EVs, the cheaper ones tend to have a lower range. Mm-hmm. General pattern. Mm-hmm. Like, there are exceptions, but that's general pattern. And you'd also be relying, I think, on the majority of users being able to be completely sufficient uh, with um, home charging. Mm. Which I think and that's for a lot the problem. of people isn't the
0: case. Exactly. And especially that's the thing. With with the you could argue that with the higher end cars, the people that buy those are more likely to have properties that can have that can cope with off-street parking. Yeah. Um the cheaper you go, the more of the people um who buy those are going to have on street parking. And at yeah. the moment, on street parking charging networks are not. Good. No.
1: So outside of London, where I think they've converted quite a few car lamp posts, so mm. contain them. if you go anywhere outside of that, mm. it's almost mm. impossible to park mm. at charge at home. Yeah, and I think the other thing that I think because people see like more and more charging stations going around the country, I mm. think it's also kind of worth noting that quite a lot of those, particularly at major kind of service stations and things at least 50% of them are Tesla superchargers. Mm, mm. So, and not all other EVs at the moment, I don't think, still, can actually charge on one mm. of
0: like, I mean, them. There might are, be a
1: uh, lot more chargers, but then yeah. you're looking at a, a, only about half the charging bank at... There the are more agreements. <laughs> I
0: think yeah. there, there are more agreements coming in um, where other manufacturers can use those superchargers. Yes. But Yeah, yeah you, you can definitely yeah. register
1: on... because. Uh, I've probably mentioned before, I've, I've got one now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And um, And on the app that comes with the car, you can register a non-Tesla vehicle. Mm. Um, mm. But my concern would be at the moment, obviously, that if, if, for example, these ports couldn't do that, you don't actually have as many charging banks as I think people assume when you drive past mm. a service mm. station. Mm. Um, so actually, I think for, like I said, there's a lot more agreements in place, but mm. if some of these cheap ones didn't have those agreements, you actually yeah. have a lot fewer chargers and then a lot more vehicles mm. and that problem always becomes amplified
0: yeah and i think that there's there's lots of there's lot all sorts of potential problems here with with the evs um you know being widely adopted as well so let's say that you you know get um, a cheap ev to go to work in because it's not that far away i mean let's say you've got a 150 mile range let's say that's yeah. really low I'd say 180 is probably quite. But anyway, 150 mile charge, right? That's fine yeah. for a lot of people to get to work and back. They might then charge at work. But then, yeah. what happens though? Do they do they have to pay for charging at work? If they don't, is that discrimination against people who don't drive EVs? Does that mean that companies are going to have to pay those people more, like a, a petrol surcharge? Or what? I don't know. I mean, there's all sorts of things here. But I mean, like you said... I mean, the
1: the obvious way around that is saying that the the car park should be paid for, but it's free if you're an employee. And charging is included in that, isn't Mm. it? but I don't know what you mean though, because like you said, 150 miles is a low range. I think mm-hmm. we were talking not that long ago and I said a min- the electric mini has got about the lowest range going. Mm-hmm. and That's 145 miles.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm.
1: for a lot of people, that doesn't sound like a lot, but for a lot of people, for a daily that's commute, be fine. That'd, be, that'd be absolutely sufficient if you can mm-hmm. charge at home. Yeah. I, I, that, I think that's the big thing is, you're like you said, the kind of the sort of people that might be looking at getting wanting an EV but getting it cheaper might not have... The facilities at home to park multiple cars on the drive oh. and charge them all at once mm. and i think yeah and stuff like this like a smaller i assume smaller car like a ford mm. electric great in the city Where's mm. it the most of a pain in the backside to charge in the city mm. it's, just, it's just like so there's, there's that disparity where if i think if they don't think about this carefully and they flood the market too quickly mm. you end up with like you said the opposite effect where people go mm. well I can't charge it's a nightmare there's these negative news stories there's people complaining about it all the time no. i'm not going to get one mm. and the ford have basically shot all the car manufacturers in the foot simultaneously yeah no one, no one wants one yeah and, and it's a really i think really kind of fine yeah. balance to get that right
0: yeah mind you that by the way you said that it was a, a... You know, pain to, to charge in the city. It'd be, mm. It's an even more of a pain to charge if you're going cross country. Um, yeah, that's so, true. yeah, so... Very true. I found
1: <laughs> that a... I first had a few months ago. Trying to drive to somewhere near Glastonbury, uh, oh, Harvard, yeah. Castle Cary, near Glastonbury. Mm-hmm. Once I was off the, the main road, in a sense, it was like, oh god, am I going to find a charger? Where am I?
0: <laughs> so Isn't that like... does that did that enhance your drive? Did it did it <laughs> make you did it make it more exciting?
1: To be really honest, for the first time in my life, I searched for a, a fueling station, so in this case, charging point, before I left. Wow. So I knew there was one on the other end, which you wouldn't normally do, and you wouldn't normally sit there and go, oh, I wonder if when I park at this campsite, there's going to be a petrol station within mm. 20 miles, mm. because there will there will be one, yeah. or, unless you're, li- you'd have to be in the Highlands, I think, somewhere, mm-hmm. to not have, have a petrol station that nearby. Yeah. But it just, it comes back into that, yeah, you end up having to plan more thoroughly, mm. which, like for some people that would be an instant deterrent like having mm. to plan when
0: you're going to charge is an instant mm. no, I don't want yeah to... of course yeah that's wow there we go there we go well look um that's a good note to end on i think um <laughs> just, you know we're losing charge ourselves um so <laughs> powering down you, for yeah
1: yeah uh, <laughs> powering down,
0: exactly yeah so thank you very much indeed um for your um for your wise words today nice um, as we. always and and Fashion advice. Let's let's face it. Um oh, yeah. I'm
1: rocking yeah. my shorts and black t shirt. Brilliant. Could not be more
0: fashionable. Brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> um so anyway, thank you very much indeed. Thank you very much for listeners for listening. Um we'll well, the podcast will be back again um very soon. So just to, to say, my this year I'm changing things slightly. So we're gonna be doing this kind of style of podcast from Monday to Thursday. On Friday, the idea is we, you know, there'll be like a guest podcast potentially so not every friday but you know a a few fridays Hmm. um could be legal liz it could be someone else it could be you know um and and um yeah so that's uh just just so just so people know but anyway thank you very much indeed have a great day whatever you're up to and we'll we'll be back again soon many thanks thanks bye bye